take your Bibles and turn to the, the book of Job. If you have the right Bible, it's on page uh, 459. I don't know whether you got the right Bible or not. but um, And while you're turning there, uh, inside your program, we have created something for you. It's the uh, book of Job 10-week reading plan, okay? And so while you're turning there, why don't you pull this out? Okay, everybody pull this out. Let, let, let me see it. Come on, there you go. There you go, Robert. There you go. Everybody's got it? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Pull that out. Okay, now, now what we're doing as a church family is we are going to uh, read through the book of Job over the next 10 weeks, and we've kind of just broke it up for you. So you can see that uh, starting tomorrow, what you read, and each day we'll all as a church family be reading the book of Job together. My suggestion to you is this. Um, you ought to read the first chapter of, of Job literally every, every day. It, it is really fantastic. But let's all together commit to be reading the book of Job together. Put this in your Bible, and uh, I, just, I, I know it'll make a, a difference in, in your life. If you don't own a, a Bible here, you can go into the altar room here, the altar room over in the venue, and we'll give you a Bible. You can bring it next week, and you can, you know, it's your own copy. You can make notes on it, underline things as we go through this series. And all you got to do is just go in there and pick it up afterwards. If not, if you don't have a Bible, all the verses will be up here on the uh, jumbotrons. Today, we're beginning a, a brand new series where we're going to go through the, the book of Job uh, together. Most of you have probably heard of Job. In fact, um, even if you're here and maybe you don't believe in God or you don't know whether there is a God, you, maybe you've never read the Bible before, most people have probably heard of Job or the basic story of Job, that uh, he was this really good guy, this godly man, and he has a couple of like really bad days, okay, to say the least, right? We, we've all basically heard that story. But I want you to know that over the next 10 weeks, we're all going to discover that the story of Job is way more than just a really good guy who has a, a bad day or, or two. There's going to be a lot of things in here that I believe will enrich all of our, our lives. And before I actually read Job chapter one, we're gonna walk through the, the whole chapter uh, together. I wanna give you a couple of really quick thoughts, okay? Job was a, a real person, real person. The great prophet Ezekiel mentions him in Ezekiel chapter 14. James mentions him in James chapter five. Paul in Romans uh, 11 and 1 Corinthians chapter three actually quotes Job. So Job was a, a real person, just like he was not some mythological character that we find in Scripture. He was a, a, a real person. He was married. He had kids. He, he worked. He had friends. He loved God. He had good days. He had bad days. He laughed with his family and friends. He, he ex experienced bummers and trials, which we'll see today. So the first thing I want you to understand as we get into chapter 1 is that Job was a real person. Now, when we read chapter one, when all of you know, these troubles kind of come upon his life, he's somewhere around 60 years old, maybe up to 70. We don't know exactly how old he was, but somewhere between 60 and 70 years old. 
When he eventually dies, he's about 200 when, when he dies. So what we read here in chapter one is he's 60 or 70 and he's gonna live about another 130 or, um, or so years. We, we don't know who wrote the book of Job. We know it wasn't Job. A lot of scholars think that maybe Moses wrote the book of Job. Some scholars think it might have been uh, Solomon who wrote the book of Job. But we don't really know, okay? We're, we're not told that information. But what we do know is that he was a real person, just like you. He just lived in a different, in a different time, okay? So with this said, let's look at Job chapter 1. And let's look at verse 1. The Bible says there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Now this doesn't mean that Job was perfect or that he never sinned. It simply means that he was a very godly man. He, he was a, a moral man. He was a, a just man. He was an honest man. He was loyal to his wife. He was loyal to his family. He was generous to the poor. He, he cared about strangers. He was faithful to the Lord. That, that, that's what verse one basically means. And uh, as I have been reading this over and over again over the last oh, couple months, and I would read verse one, I want you to know that there's many of you in this room right now and over in the venue, and you remind me of Job. What's written up in Job chapter one there in verse one reminds me of a lot of you. You're a godly person. You love the Lord. You're moral, you're just. You care about what God's word has to say. You care about the poor. You care about the needy. And literally, uh, some of you, God, God brought you to my mind as I, as I, as I read this. Our church, we're, we're very fortunate in that there are lots of Job's, if you will, the character of Job in, in, in our church. Look at verse two. He had seven sons, and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Wow. Even, even by today's standards, he, he was a wealthy man. He had a, a lot of uh, uh, buildings and, and uh, capital and, and ways to earn a living. I mean, th this guy was a really wealthy man. He, he might have been, I don't know, um, the Bill Gates of his day. And one of the things that I want to point out is, is that all of his wealth didn't mess up his godliness, didn't mess up his holiness. And the scriptures tell us that that often is, is the case, or it can be the case. 
But somehow, with all of his wealth, he kept a really beautiful walk with the Lord. Look at verse 4. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes. Imagine birthday parties and all those kinds of things like we might have. And they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job told himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular practice. It seems as if Job has the perfect family, right? He's got these 10 children, they all get along and, and they like to get together in, in different of the brothers' homes and party and celebrate and whatever all that, that might be. Also, how many of you uh, dads out there have done what Job did? You get up early in the morning maybe and you pray for your kids. Especially as they get older and you don't know what they're doing. My daughter and son-in-law are here this morning and they both love the Lord deeply and walk with God, which I'm thankful for. But their old man gets up and spends some time on his knees just praying for his family. I got a daughter down at Fresno, her second year of college. In fact, just time out. (laughs) You get it, right? We've all done it, or we should do it. That's what Job did. You can see his godliness as it overflows into the life of his his children. Look at verse uh, 6. Things are going to change here. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Wow. 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 Imagine God's kind of having a a staff meeting. And he's got all of his angels with him. And Satan shows up. Imagine this meeting. For whatever reason, God allows Satan to be a part of this staff meeting he's having with his angels. It seems a little bizarre, but I want you to think of a New Testament equivalent. Remember Jesus? He had his 11 disciples and a guy named Judas. Jesus knew that Judas was the betrayer, right? And yet Jesus allows Judas to be a part of his staff meetings, if you will. Interesting, the correlation here. Why does God allow Satan into this meeting? Hmm. I want you to know, Job has no idea that this meeting has taken place. This conversation right here is what sets up the whole book of Job. 
Job doesn't know that God and Satan are going to have a conversation. Has no clue. Job's wife doesn't know that God and Satan are going to have a conversation. Job's friends don't know about this conversation. And here's the deal. They will never know. God never tells Job about this conversation that's about to happen. He never knows. And so here we are in this, in this staff meeting. Job's down on planet earth doing his thing. I don't know. He's out pl plowing his fields. He's over at his son's house. He's over at his daughter's house. Uh, maybe he's going to one of these celebrations. He has no idea what's going on up in the heavenly realm right now. None. He doesn't know that a conversation is going to happen and he's going to be the subject line of it. I wonder if there's a conversation going on in heaven right now about you. And you'll never know about that conversation. Job has no idea. Verse seven, where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan and Satan answered the Lord. Well, I've been patrolling the earth. Watching everything that's going on. And so here in verse seven, we see who's in control. God's in control here. He's the one with all the power. Satan has to give an account to God about what he's been doing. And we know exactly what Satan has been doing. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter Five, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around, or let's use Job's word, he's patrolling around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. This is the job description of Satan. He just prowls around down here on planet earth. He's just looking for somebody to goof up. He, he's looking for a life that he can mess up. He, he's looking for a family that he can mess up. He's looking for a, a business that he can mess up. So what he does. And here we see in Job, the very first chapter, guess what? He's prowling around on the planet. He's looking for someone's life to, to mess up. And by the way, we first see him patrolling the earth in Genesis chapter 3. He's patrolling the earth, and guess who he runs into, if you will? Adam and Eve. And now, here we see this conversation in the heavenlies, and Satan says, here's what I've been doing. I've been doing what I've been doing since Genesis 3. Just prowling around on planet Earth, just, just, just looking, trying to figure out whose life I can mess up, just trying to figure out whose family I can mess up. Verse 8, then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless a man of complete integrity, he fears God and stays away from evil. And you gotta stop everything right here. Do you understand what just happened? 
Job isn't anywhere really on, on, on Satan's radar screen. Who puts him there? God does. God's the one who gives Satan the GPS coordinates to Job's house, if you will, in his life. Bet you never thought about that. God's the one who, as Job's down on planet Earth, just going about his life, and in this heavenly staff meeting, God's the one who points out Job to Satan. As I said, this is the conversation that sets up the entire book of Job. Job has no idea. He's just a godly man who goes to church on Sundays and, I don't know, serves in the choir or the orchestra. Maybe he works with children, brings his offering, works in the altar room, prays for people. Just a godly man going about his life. And up in heaven, God has just told Satan, have you thought about that guy? Wow. Verse 9, Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but, but, but Job has a good reason to fear God. Has a good reason to have a reverential fear of, 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 of God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and, and his home and his, and his property. You, you, you've made him prosper in everything he does. Hey, just look at how rich he is. But you reach out and take everything you know, he has away from him and he'll surely curse you to your face. Now, in my opinion, here's what Satan was saying. He was saying that True believers are only faithful as long as they prosper. True believers are only faithful as long as everything goes well in their lives, as long as you know they're making money and able to buy things, as long as their life is easy and comfortable. But take away their homes, take away their businesses, take away their 401ks, take away their savings, take away their wealth, take away their comfort, and they'll walk away from God. I think Satan thought that a true believer could lose their salvation and he wanted to prove it. I also think that Satan was still pretty cocky about what happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. I mean, he scored a great victory there, right? <laughs> hey, hey God, you, you give me access to Job. See what I did to Adam and Eve and there wasn't even any sin in the hadn't even entered the world. There wasn't even a part of the DNA yet. Dude, I, I took out Adam and Eve. In a heartbeat, give me access to Job and I'll finish him off in, in no time flat. Look at verse 12. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him, harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Just want you to know, this is really weighty. 
Here we see the power of God. He's in absolute control. Satan can't do anything unless God permits it. And for whatever reason, God is permitting that some really horrible things will happen to this very, very godly man. This is what makes the story of Job difficult. You see, if God had said, yeah, go down there and mess with Charlie Manson. Oh, we get that. Yeah, go down there and mess up Hitler's life. Well, of course. Yeah, go down there and mess up that crazy, you know, unbelieving neighbor of yours that plays their music late at night. Well, of course, they deserve it. See, we'd understand that. (laughs) But here's this godly man. God has just given Satan the okay to go goof with a really, really good man, a moral man, a man that walks with God. (laughs) Hmm. Verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the older brother's house, imagine, I don't know, they're having a birthday party and everybody's there celebrating, happy birthday to you. Imagine, imagine the scene. A messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing uh, with the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided us. They, They stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Imagine, you know, door opens. Hey, Jimmy, how are you? Well, let me tell you what happened. Whoa. I just lost a bunch of animals. I just lost a a bunch of my capital. I just lost a bunch of, you know, businesses I own, buildings I own, homes I rent, apartment complexes I rent. What? Yeah, and, and I also lost some employees. Boom! That's a kidney punch. But he doesn't even have time to recover. Look at verse 16. While he was still speaking, while the first guy's still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up all your sheep and all, the, all your shepherds. And I'm the only one to escape to tell you. So the first guy just got finished and He didn't even finish. And another guy shows up and says, hey, I just want you to know, you you lost all your sheep and you lost your shepherds. In other words, you lost a lot of uh, employees again. Some of these guys are probably some of Job's friends. But he doesn't even have a chance to take all this in because you get to verse 17. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. The three bands of Chaldean raiders have stole your camels and killed your servants, and I'm the only one to escape to tell you. This is is a bad day, man. I wonder what was running through Job's mind. I think we might know what was running through Job's wife's mind by now. Job's got to be wondering, what in the world's going on? 
Verse 18, while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Their sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept through in the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. Wow. This is all one day. I mean, boom, boom, boom. And you're trying to process the fact that you've lost a bunch of servants and farmhands and, 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 you know, shepherds. And you, you literally lost everything. You lost everything. And all of us remember what happened with Enron, right? All of us re re remember that people had literally millions of dollars invested and they had retired and they, 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 they thought, man, I'm golden for the rest of my life. And boom, they woke up one day and had nothing. Nothing. They thought they were set for life. And they had nothing. They had no savings. They had nothing in their 401ks. They, they literally had nothing. Remember Bernie Madoff? There were lots of people that had millions of dollars invested with him. And literally, one day, they woke up and had nothing. It was all gone. One evil man had stolen all their savings. And, and they, they, you know, their Houses were being repossessed. Their cars were being repossessed. And as bad as that was with Job, I mean, he has lost everything. It got worse. He now lost his kids, his family. What would you do? What would you do? I was talking with... Uh, a family last week. I got a knock on their door. They opened it. And there were a couple of soldiers standing there. You know what that means? It's not good news. Their son had been killed in action. Some of you have lost a loved one. Maybe it was your spouse. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a child. Maybe it was a good friend. What would you do? Or what, what have you done when all of a sudden you, you, you got some crummy news? Look at verse 20. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief, and he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground to worship. Man. And here's the image that I had in my mind. You had this staff meeting with all the angelic beings there, all the holy angels are there, there's God and there's Satan. They all hear this conversation between God and Satan and God says, hey, have you checked out my, my servant Job? And Satan says, well, yeah, let me go. And God says, okay, well, go down, just, don't, just spare his life. So they've all heard what's gone on. They have no idea how Job's gonna respond 
the angelic beings, the demons of, of hell have to be watching this thing going, whoa, Satan has just wiped out everything Job has. They all have to be kind of looking down, wondering what is this man going to do? How will he respond? The first thing it says here is that he tore his robe in grief and he shaved his head. In other words, Job was human. God expects us to be human. We grieve. Nothing wrong with grieving. It's normal. What Job is doing here is absolutely normal. If you lost all 10 of your children in one day, you would grieve. You don't even have to lose one child. You can lose, you know, a parent that's in their 90s and you grieve. I had someone call me not long ago who had lost a parent their mother passed away. It was like 85. And they said, Pastor Rick, I'm just heartbroken over, you know, can, can you help me? And I said, no, I can't help you. I can't fix normal. You're supposed to grieve. Now, if you're grieving five years from now, we got a problem. But right now that's just normal. Christian, it's okay to grieve. But our grief shouldn't look like those that have no hope, as Paul says. Our grieving ought to be different. And certainly, Job's is, because then he fell to the ground and he worshiped. Man, all the angels, okay, he's grieving. Boom, he's worshiping the Lord. Woo! I'm sure the demons were going, whoa, that's. I'm sure Satan was surprised. Verse 21, Job said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I'm gonna, I'm gonna return you know, naked when I die. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Listen, tell me that isn't one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. That's just, that's just unbelievable what we just read. That's why I, I want to encourage you. Don't, don't, don't just read, you know, the seven or so forth. This week, spend time. Read the whole chapter over and over and over again. Doesn't, doesn't take very long. Now, there's a bunch of things I'd like to talk about, but I, I want to zero in on, on one thing, just, just one. And then uh, Scott and Chad are going to come up. We're going to sing one little chorus and we'll go fellowship. I just, I got one thing I just want to, I want to leave you with here in chapter one, but there's a lot of stuff we're going to talk about as we, as we go, go through this over the next 10 weeks. 
And that one thing I want you to leave with is this, is that God is in absolute control of, of everything. I want you to understand this, Christian. He's sovereign. And we see the fact that God is in control of everything in Genesis chapter one in the very first verse. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what that means is that word created there is the word ex nihilio in the Hebrew. It means out of nothing, God created. So you have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. There is nothing. And out of nothing, God created. Ex nihilio, out of nothing, God creates. And we see all of that in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God creates. We as human beings are creative. We do create, but we don't create anything ex nihilio. When an artist paints a painting, they, they don't create something out of nothing. They take red paint that God has created and put it on the canvas. They take blue paint that God created ex nihilio and put it on the canvas. They take yellow paint that God has created ex nihilio and they put it on a canvas. And they do create something, but they didn't create the canvas either. They didn't create the wood that holds it together. They didn't create the brushes. That, 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 you know, the wood and the bristles. We can create, we just can't create ex nihilio. We can't create things out of nothing. But that right there just shows you the power of God, that he is in control of everything. The very first sentence in the Bible tells us that. Psalms chapter 135 says, the Lord does whatever pleases him. He, he, anybody ever gotten a call on their phone where God says, hey, listen, I'm about ready to do something. I just want to check in with you, see if it's okay with you. <laughs> I've never gotten that call. I've, I've waited for that call a few times. Come on, God, you got to check in with me on this, don't you? He just does whatever pleases him. That's what he does. God said this in Isaiah chapter 46. He says, I am God and there's no one like me, obviously, only I can tell you the future before it ever happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. Why? For I do whatever I wish. He's in complete control. He's sovereign. Job will make this statement in chapter 42. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And that's the truth. God's in control. The great apostle says this in Colossians chapter one. He said, Christ is the invisible, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. In other words, he's in control. God's in control. He's supreme over it all. Makes sense since he created it, right? Ex nihilio. A.W. Tozer said this, great quote. He said, quote, God is absolutely free. Nothing can compel him. No one can hinder him. No one can stop him. God has the freedom to do as he pleases, always, everywhere, and forever. And that's, that's true. 
Nothing can stop God. Nothing. He's sovereign. He rules over everything. He controls everything. In fact, let me get a a little bit more specific. And and this is where we're going to get back into Job 1. God controls everything he created. I want you to think about this. He commanded a big fish to swallow Jonah. And what'd that big fish do? Obey. Right? God commanded a, a little tiny worm to go kill a plant. Remember that story? And what did that little tiny worm do that had no brain, basically? Obey. God commanded that the Red Sea would part. Guess what happened? Red Sea parted. It commanded. God God commanded that the Sea of Galilee would be still. And guess what? It was still. God commanded that the wind would stop blowing. And guess what happened? The wind obeyed. God controls all of creation, every bit of it, which brings me to number two. God controls when a person's born. Genesis chapter 29 says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. God opened the womb. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're told that the Lord kept a gal by the name of Hannah from having a baby. In other words, God closed the womb. You're here today because God made a decision to open up a womb. It was his decision. He controlled that. Number three, God controls how many days a person, you know, how many days a person will live. In other words, he controls when you're going to die. In Job chapter 14, Job says, you have decided the length of our lives. You you know how many months we'll live and we're not given a minute longer. (laughs) And that's the truth. Your heart's going to stop whenever it is God wants it to stop. He, he, he controls that. He controls when you're born. He controls when you die. N- number four, God controls your personal life. And we see this in the book of Job. We see this in Job's life. Ephesians chapter two says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us. He has created us. He created you anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things that he planned for us Long ago, beloved, this, this truth, the, the, the truth that God is in control should give you an incredible amount of, I don't know, joy and peace and comfort because it means that your life was thought through by God. You weren't just a, a coincidence that, you know, happened. He's the one who thought about you long before you were ever born. He's the one who came up with a plan for your life long before you were ever born. He did. You weren't born without God knowing about it. And God controls your life just as he was in control of God's life. Now, now I want to add something here. God is in control of your life even when you feel like he's not. And this, this is important. He's in control even when you feel, keyword is feel, like he's not. Because there are many times in our lives, beloved, when we may feel like God's not in control. I've been there a number of times in my Christian walk. 
where I, I have felt like he's, he's not only not in control, but he's a million miles away. Like he doesn't even know I exist. But the reality is, he is in control. I often tell you, your feelings have no IQ. You can't educate them. And most of the time, they're pretty much irrational. Now, God has given them to us, but we're, we're not to make decisions based upon how we feel. Jesus said, it's the truth that sets us free. Yes, we have feelings in here. And what we have to do is go, wait a minute, I feel a certain way, but you got to get up to this. We as human beings have the ability to think, to engage our minds. And friends, when you feel like he's not in control, that's when you got to get here and remember the truth that he is in control. Now, let me tell you the one time, maybe greater than any other time, when you'll feel like he's not in control, and that is when you suffer. When something goes haywire in your life or maybe goes haywire in somebody else's life, a loved one's life, that's when you can really feel like, oh man, God, where are you in all this? I think, I think that's what happens to Job's wife. Where are you in all this? My husband's a good man. Can't tell you how many times he's brought an offering to the church. He serves in children's ministries. He's doing, a, what's going on? Listen, the truth is God's in control. We see that over and over and over again, Christian. That's the truth with a capital T. He's in control. Okay, Pastor Rick, I, I get it. God's in complete control when, you know, I'm going through a difficult time, even when I'm suffering. But why does God even allow suffering then? Why? Well, why does he allow it? Well, let me give you a, a 35,000 foot view, if I could, just for a second. You have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter three. In Genesis one and two, God creates everything and it's perfect. He creates the first human beings, Adam and Eve. They're perfect. And in Genesis chapter three, Satan enters the picture. He's prowling around on the earth. He sees the first two human beings and he deceives the, the, the woman and the, and the man blows it and just, they, they disobey God. And that brought sin into the equation of life. And because of, of sin, boy, do we got a mess on our hands. It changed everything. It brought with it weeds and thistles and pollution and chaos and famine and cancer, diseases, birth defects, uh, rape and robbery, drug addiction, crime, corruption, tornadoes, earthquakes, hurricanes, and all the other cruddy things you can think of. It can all be traced back to Genesis 3. 
That's why Jesus said in, in John chapter 16, in this world you will have troubles. <laughs> you know why he could make that promise? Because he, he knew what happened in Genesis 3. He knew what the consequences of sin were going to be, that all of us would experience troubles and bummers and, and heartaches and suffering because of what took place in Genesis chapter 3. But still the question remains, but why does God allow crummy things to happen to people, especially his own people like Job? Okay, I get it. Sin, sin you know, did some crummy things, but why, why Job? Well, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the Lord our God has secrets known to only him. Man, I hate that verse. There are, there are some things that go on in life that only he knows. He, he, he makes a decision that he's not going to let you in on it. He makes a decision to never tell Job what's going on. I mean, why not? Come on, Job's this good man, he's a godly man. There are some things that only God knows. He, he, he chooses not to tell us. But what we do know is this, and we sang about it. He's a good, good father. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And you're loved by him. That's who you are. That's who you are. That, that wasn't just a song. There's truth in that. He's good. Even though he makes the decision not to tell you about what's going on. Just know he's good. That's who he is. And you're loved by him. That's who you are. The great prophet Isaiah records this. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Imagine that, that God has thoughts that are way higher than yours. Doesn't that make him mad? That's kind of Deuteronomy 29, 29, right? Because he's God and you're not, he's going to do things and think things that are beyond anything that your PhD brain can handle. And you know what you get when you put Deut Deuteronomy 29, 29 together with Isaiah 55, 8, 9. Here, here's what you get. And I wrote it down for you. There will be issues that come up in your life, suffering that will come up in your life that'll be impossible for you to explain. And when this happens, don't abandon Jesus. Instead, draw closer to him so that he can bring his peace and his comfort into your life. I, I can't explain all the stuff that happens in life. Can't do it.
But God says, look, there are some things that are just between me and my son and the Holy Spirit. My, my thoughts aren't your thoughts and my ways aren't your ways. But remember this. In fact, I'm gonna ask Scott and, and Chad to come out. Remember this, God says. I'm a good, good father. I'm a good, good father. Don't you forget that in the midst of all the weirdness, all the stuff. I'm a good, good father. And you're loved by me. When things don't make any sense, that's what you keep up here. And you keep that up there. And let me tell you something. Look, look, look at uh, 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 the verse 20 of our text. Job stood up. He, he, he tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and he worshiped. He said, naked, I, I came from my mother's womb and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise be the name of the Lord. You know what? I think somehow in Job's mind, you know what was rattling through his mind? He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And I'm loved by him. That's who I am. And that's good enough for me. And I'd like for you to stand. Tim's going to take it away over in the venue. And let's sing this together and then I'll, I'll end with prayer, okay? Let's sing this little chorus together. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm a love tiny chorus just loaded with truth you remember that he's good and he loves you deeply he's good he loves you deeply I, I, I just believe you, you keep that in your mind you'll find yourself pulling a Job uh, you know 1 21 22 when bad things happen Oh, you'll grieve. But you'll find yourself in worship of Him. Praising Him. Even though it doesn't make any sense to, to you. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time to be together here, God, and kick off this new series. Lord, I would ask that somehow, some way, you take these words of mine and use them in my family's life. I love these people deeply. Give us a great time out now fellowshipping and got some good food out there. Maybe we meet some new people. Bless the food to our bodies, God. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, we got tons of food out there. So make sure you get out there, all right? Blessings.